Welcome to another edition of San Joaquin Spotlight. This is a public affairs broadcast airing on CMAC, Comcast Xfinity 93, and AT&T UVerse 99, as well as Talk Radio 1550 KX EX. Our guest this week, some of you are familiar with him and his writing. He is the editor of the editorial page of the Fresno B. Tad Weber, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you very much for having me. So, you know, the B, the industry, journalism, I would say, is going through a lot of changes at the moment. So I'm excited to, to, for you to kind of talk to us about this. But first, let's talk about the history of the Fresno Bee. How long has the Fresno Bee been around? Well, Sveg, uh, again, thanks for having me, and thank you to your audience. It's really great to share some time with you. Um, the B this year is 99 years old. In fact, give me a second. I'm going to roll back here. I happen to have a copy. Mm. This is the very first Fresno B front page. Now, this isn't the original, it's a copy, but October 17th, 1922 was when the Fresno Bee began publishing. So Fresno had had a newspaper, obviously, probably several of them. The Morning Republic is the one that comes to mind for me that I know about. There had been other newspapers, but this was the, the newspaper started by the McClatchy family of Sacramento. And it was the second of their uh, newspapers named The Bee. The first one, of course, is the Sacramento Bee. And then the third one is the Modesto, P, Modesto Bee. And all of them are still publishing today. And as I kind of hold it up for you to see, um, you can see there's a lot of material on that front page. Yeah, yeah. A lot different than what we do today. Um, one of those stories is about the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> Interesting. No, but in San Francisco, um, one of the headlines says, Fresno and LA in dispute for new judgeship. Uh, we have a picture right here. This man is the first subscriber, <laughs> and he got to push the button to start the press. His name was Charles Daly. Um, they've got a story about husband slays wife assailant. So there's crime 100 years ago. Um, and one of the stories says, unfinished building but a complete newspaper. The bees' offices themselves were completely done. So <clears throat> the bee has a long history in Fresno. As I say, next year, uh, 2022, will mark our centennial. I know that we would like to do some special things through the year. We're starting to think about those ideas, so I'll be watching for that. And of course, without the readers, of that whole time, we wouldn't exist. So our ultimate thanks to them. How exciting, almost a hundred years of publication. You know, 
I, I want the audience members to learn a little bit more about you. Prior to this role, what are some of the roles that you've had in the B family? Well, um, in the Clatchy Company, I've been employed since year 2000. And um, that was the job of city editor at the San Luis Obispo Tribune. And then um, I rapidly promoted out of that to become the managing editor of the Tribune, which is the number two person in the newsroom. And I worked there for about 13 years. And then in 2013, uh, my family and I moved from San Luis Obispo to Fresno. And here I became the, the Metro editor, the city editor, um, overseeing the, the main group of reporters in the B newsroom. And when I came in 2013, it was very much a newspaper company. Um, we still printed here in Fresno. Our deadlines went deep into the night to get content into the next day paper. We put a lot of energy into making the paper and the website in digital was something we kind of did. Oh yeah, we gotta make sure that's online, that kind of idea. Now, just mere eight years later, it's completely flipped. And the priority first uppermost all the time, 24 seven is our digital uh, presence, ResnoB.com and um, the newspaper comes second. So I know for the loyal newspaper audience uh, readership, that's a hard reality, but it is reality. Uh, the B is not unique. Every newspaper in every community in America has had to go through this. And um, what's exciting about it is we can compete now with the broadcast competitors in getting news published to a digital audience. In fact, many times we beat them. So that's a lot of fun, um, but it's a different kind of game in a way. Um, about three or four years ago, I stepped out of the local news editing and became the opinion editor. We actually don't really call it editorial page editor anymore because of the digital uh, world that we're in. So my title is really opinion editor. And as the opinion editor, I um, write the, the B's editorials. I handle the letters to the editor, the Valley Voice op-eds. Sometimes you submit them <laughs> and um, look for columnists and uh, represent the company at public events. And then of course, in election years, um, I and, and my fellow colleagues on the editorial board interview candidates in the key races that we are gonna offer recommendations in. So it's a lot of fun. It's all uh, about ideas and philosophies and opinions, which is really interesting. It's very mentally stimulating, uh, can be very challenging. Uh, I, I get a lot of pushback from the community, mm -hmm. disagree with things that we're writing or pieces that we've run, but that's fine. That's part of the deal. You know, I've read the B for over 20 years. I, I think the first time I read the B, I, I mean, I read the B one when I was 13, 14, but I think the first piece or letter that I submitted was when I was 17 years old. And so I, you know, I, I follow the B, I, but the whole industry is changing. Like you mentioned, I mean, if you would have told me five years ago that I'm going to be in my office 
slash children's uh, room where they color, as you could tell by the background, and do my show, TV and radio, I would have told you no way. So, you know, I'm kind of old fashioned and I like the hard copy, but I completely understand the, the direction that the industry is going. Opinion pieces. I'm a fan of them. I've submitted them. How a, a lot of people always ask me, how how do you make a good opinion piece? And I'd like your expertise in that. Walk us through what a good opinion piece looks like. Okay. Well, um, a good opinion piece, you know, first of all, the, the key word in that phrase is opinion. So a good opinion piece has an opinion, has very clear opinion, clearly defined, specific. Um, for the Fresno Bee, our highest priority is, is uh, opinion based off of local issues and local uh, developments, local news. So um, if somebody's gonna submit a piece about what's happening in Washington, DC, I'm not gonna be very um, interested in that piece because we already have a cascading flood of commentary about Washington, DC politics. But if somebody wants to submit a piece about a controversy here in Fresno and their opinion about it, that's great. So that's the first thing. Make sure you have an opinion. And for our purposes, it needs to be local. Um, second, think about writing it as an essay, because that's basically what it is. So you have a very strong opening where you lay out the theme of your piece. And then the body of it is giving examples to back up your theme. And then the closing reinforces the theme. And you have to accomplish all that in 600 words. I'm not gonna look for pieces that are a thousand words or longer. It needs to be tight because we wanna try to get in as many opinions as we can. Also, I'm a one person department. So my time is very limited. I do not have time to rewrite uh, somebody's piece if it's not written well enough. I will send it back or I just won't use it. So. Make sure you do a lot of self-editing. Every writer is always the first editor of the piece. You have to be disciplined. You have to be rigorous in your own self-editing. Get family members to read it. If you have good colleagues at work, maybe they could help read it. You know, get someone to help you before you submit it to me. And please don't submit pieces to me in Word documents that have all the editing still showing. I want a clean copy. <laughs> the other thing I want to ask about is letters to the editor. So, you know, when I first started writing, letters to the editor were in daily. And, I, and the changes, you know, over the years, the changes uh, have made them, I don't want to say rare, but less published. Can you talk about um, letters to the editor and, and what you're looking in for those and when those go in? Sure. <clears throat> Let me answer that, Sveg, by um, kind of answering more broadly on the priorities of my work. Because again, since I'm the person doing all this work for the opinion components of the bees comment or uh, content, my day gets divided into lots of different ways. So the highest priority that my company has for my work are the editorials that the bee needs to write. 
And within that, my company wants me to oftentimes go beyond the reporting that the news team did. So for example, yesterday I posted an editorial about the pride flag controversy at City Hall. And we'd already had a story which was very good about what the mayor was proposing with an alternative idea. But I ended up interviewing three other people to come to my own opinion, one of those people being the mayor and a couple of other folks. And um, that took a lot of time. And then I have to write the piece. So that's my number one calling is to write pieces for the B. Everything else is gonna have to fit in after that. So the second point I wanna make is in the digital era, as anybody who is online would understand, everything can be measured because everything gets an identification in the digital environment. When you create a, a file, it is, it's got an ID and it's gonna be measurable. So we measure obviously by something called page views. Page views are basically the eyeballs looking at that piece of content. Um, Letters to the editor do not get consistently good page views. They just don't. That's nothing that we have made, made that way. That's the consumer making that decision. The news consumers choose what is going to be interesting to them and what isn't. So we still do value letters to the editor. It is a way to get voices of the community into the mix, but we can't go overboard with it because it doesn't have a payoff. It's not what the community is looking for ultimately uh, as the highest page view value. Think of it like going to a restaurant and uh, on the menu, there's a cheeseburger, mm -hmm. there's chicken strips and there's liver and onions. So the hamburger is probably gonna be the number one consumer favorite. It's gonna get ordered the most. Chicken strips, chicken fingers will have a good consumer base. The liver and onions, there'll be some people ordering it, but not as many, of course. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say letters the editor like liver and onions, but you see my analogy. Very good analogy and it's, Interesting, you know, so everything is is basically tracked on how many eyeballs and how much interest is in that article. You know, you or you showed a I'm glad you showed the first Fresno Bee that was published. That was pretty cool. And again, congratulations that it's gonna be a hundred years. It's amazing. One of the things I noticed is the library has old editions of the Fresno Bee. There are times where I've sat in there for a couple of hours going through the old Fresno Bee. The reason I bring that up is how, how else can the community help you? How else can the community help the bee? Because, you know, a newspaper in the community is critical, correct? Well, it's <clears throat> a very good question and um, very timely because there's a growing trend, unfortunately, in America today of what are now being called news deserts, where the community newspaper, for various reasons, has decided to close. 
and nothing has really come in to replace it. <laughs> so the function of the local newspaper, you know, at its, at its minimum to watch local government and report on local government, um, that has gone away in, in many communities across America. So the key way that Fresnans can help sustain the Fresno Bee today is to buy a digital subscription. You don't have to have a print subscription. You can get a digital one. The digital subscription is a lot cheaper than a print one. If you get a print subscription, you get the digital as well. You get full access to all our digital content. If you get a digital subscription, you're not gonna get the newspaper delivered to your house, but you can log in and have full reign to be online. So that's where, uh, again, the industry is going. That's the key way that we can grow and sustain ourselves. If we get a base of digital subscribers, the money from those subscriptions will help sustain literally the reporting team at the B. It will keep us going. So that's the main thing we're asking people to do. Over the years, the price has gone up and the old me would have been like, wow, price is going up. But, but the kind of more me, the newer me is, I know that by getting a subscription of that paper, it's supporting local reporters and local reporting. Uh, any thoughts? I mean, do you have any comments on that? I mean, I'm sure you hear it too, that, you know, the price is going up, but in all honesty, I go to the store now and things are far more expensive than they were 10 years ago. Right. I think um, another way of asking your question is why does the bee charge anything for online content when there's a lot of free content on the web? So the answer to that it goes back to what we were talking about a second ago. Um, you know, I, I cannot work for free. I need to be able to put food on the table. Um, my colleagues in the news side, the reporters, the editors, photographers, they can't work for free. They need to eat just like I do. So um, when you think about it, there's really no profession that can work for free. And um, the expectation that you can just have Google find you anything and it'll always be free. Uh, at some point, that's just an unrealistic consumer expectation. What else would you expect that of in, in today's world? The search engine wants you to think it's going to be free because you're using their search engine. And by the way, they're also putting ads in front of you to look at, which pays them revenue. So see, they're not even doing it for free, really. It feels free to you as a consumer, but you, they force you to look at these ads or they pop up, you gotta close them, you gotta pay attention to them for a second or so. Nothing is free. So that's why we need subscribers. That's why we've always needed subscribers. I mean, this isn't new. You had to buy the newspaper either at the rack from a newspaper kid or a home delivery. So um, be a subscriber to help the bee continue its mission into the next century. You are listening and watching San Joaquin Spotlight, a public affairs broadcast airing on CMAC.
Comcast, Xfinity 93, and AT&T U-verse 99 in the Fresno Clovis area. Also, we're on radio, talk radio 1550 KX. EX Valley Wide. Our guest is Tad Weber. Mr. Weber is the editorial page editor of the Fresno Bee. Let me ask you, who owns the paper now? McClatchy had it and then it got sold. So tell us, tell us a little bit about who, who, who's the owner now. Okay. Uh, the owner of the paper now is Chatham Asset Management, which is a... Um, it's a financial services firm located in New Jersey. So that could yield the question, well, why, why is a financial firm owning McClatchy? Well, the short answer is they think it's a good business decision. Mm -hmm. They're not in the business to lose money. They're in the business to make money. And they think that there is earning potential by owning a media company like McClatchy. Now, McClatchy is not just the three Bs in California. Um, also in California, McClatchy owns the San Luis Obispo Tribune, where I came from, um, and the Merced Sun Star, as well as some weeklies, the Sierra Star. Uh, we have a weekly in Chachilla. Um, so there's a group of papers in California. And in fact, McClatchy's 30 newspapers across America. Some of the other properties that you may have heard of, the Miami Herald, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Kansas City Star, Charlotte Observer. You know, these are very well-known, respected newspapers. So McClatchy's 30 newspapers were not the largest um, newspaper company in America. That would be Gannett. They're, they're easily twice as big as us, probably even more than that. Um, but we're substantial and we're in very interesting communities. So I think Chatham saw that as a good business opportunity and that's why they decided to do it. If I could be so bold, I would suggest your next follow-up question should be, well, how does a financial firm try to influence the news content of McClatchy newspapers? And the very short answer is it does not try to do that. Not once, not once since Chatham took over last fall has anybody from that company called Fresno and said, this is what we need you to do on the editorial page. Never, never happened. I've never had anybody from McClatchy corporate call and say, this is what we want you to do on the opinion page. There, are, there are pieces that corporate wants us to use periodically through the year. Um, mostly it's around a, a journalist from McClatchy who got captured in Syria many years ago. I mean, I think it's eight years, something like that. Andrew, um, what's his name? I'm forgetting it now. But he was a young man taken prisoner in Syria and we haven't been able to get him out. So we've had company officials write op-eds, you know, reminding our readers that this young man is captured and, you know, urging us to pressure the state government, the State Department, uh, the president um, to try to get him freed because it's not right that he's still a prisoner. 
So I, that's the only I, example of anything, you know, to to the opinion editors, please run this piece. That's it. Nothing, nothing through the presidential election, nothing. We make all the opinion decisions for the Fresno Bee here in Fresno. And you said it earlier, it, it made sense for them to purchase the bee and uh, as a financial uh, decision, as a business decision. So we're running out of time this week on the program. Uh, what, where do you see this going in the next 10 years? I mean, so people like me who on Sundays, I get the hard copy of the paper, by the way. So, it, you know, is there always going to be a hard copy version? What's the Tad Weber guess on what's going to happen in 10 years? Um, I'll get to that in one second. The name of the journalist is Austin Tice. I wanted to make sure I... Austin Tice. And Mr. Tice is still in Syria captured. He's either in Syria, Iraq, Iran. Nobody knows. But we want to bring him home, obviously. His parents are still here in America. They're I mean, can you imagine if you're one of your children? Mm-hmm. It's it's really bad. So pray for Austin. Let's get Austin home. We need him to be with us. Um, okay, the crystal ball that you're asking for. <clears throat> you get the Sunday newspaper. Will the Sunday newspaper exist 10 years from now? My honest answer is I'm not sure. Uh, will it exist five years from now? I'm pretty sure it'll still be here five years from now. Um, but the rate of change is rapid. And the key thing people need to take away when it comes to how the B is changing, newspapers are changing, TV stations are changing, everything's changing. Who's driving that change? It's actually not us. It's not me. It's you. It's news consumers. You're the ones deciding what form you want to get information in. So um, without question, it will be digital. You know, all of our lives are connected now to this device. We all have phones, they're amazing tools and that's how we communicate and be informed. Um, You know, we don't know yet what technology will be here 10 years from now and a 10 year span for technology is a long time. A lot of things can change. So um, just don't really know, but will the B be here? I'm confident it will. I think the, the need for news does not go away, especially local news. As we were talking about earlier, food, uh, news deserts exist. They're, it's real. Those communities are suffering. They're struggling. People want to know what their government's doing. It's hard for them. You basically, you have to go on your own now to find out. You can't have a source to help keep you posted on what's happening. So um, let's keep the bee going so we can keep people informed about Fresno. On that note, I will, I wanna say I'm, for years, like I said, over a couple of decades, I've been a bee reader, a subscriber, and you touched on this a little bit earlier. I don't always agree with the editorials, but I'll tell you that, I, you know, but I, I do, I respect them because you make a good point, you know. Um, but I, I just want the audience to understand that a newspaper is critical in a community. It is. And we could all disagree at times on stuff, but as long as the newspaper is there. So you said it earlier, you know, 
people need to subscribe. So if you haven't subscribed to the B or maybe you haven't renewed your subscription, please do so because these reporters and staff are members of our community. I mean, they live here. They're part of our community. That's all for this edition of San Joaquin Spotlight. This is a public affairs broadcast of Comcast, CMAC, uh, Comcast Xfinity 93, and AT&T Uverse 99. It's also on Talk Radio, 1550 AM. Tad Weber, editorial page editor, Fresno B. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Tune in next time to a new edition.